Welcome back to episode 156 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology available to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman. And today, we're interviewing a very special guest, Jake Steves, the co-founder of the decentralized AI network known as BitTensor. Here are some of the topics we discussed today. First up, we discuss how AI can save humanity from the potential of a runaway AI. Next, we asked Jacob how BitTensor works and how people can leverage it. Then he explains the differences between miners, validators, and stakers. And finally, we ask him burning questions from the community. All right, let's listen in. Welcome back to episode 156 of the Block Runner Podcast. I'm your host, William, always here with your co-host, Iman. What's going on, man? And on the sticks, we got TJ. Hello. And of course, most importantly, yeah. we're talking to the co-founder of BitTensor, Jake Steves. Thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So uh, <sighs> this, is big for, this is big. So we've, we've interviewed a lot of different notable characters in this uh, Web3 space. Yeah, but something, something interesting about you is... Uh, and your team, probably your founding team. You guys aren't like natively blockchain people, Web3 people. You guys are actually hardcore AI devs that have understood the utility and the, you know, the impactfulness of blockchain technology and have decided to incorporate that mm-hmm. into the AI layer, right? So I guess the nature of what we want to discuss is, first of all, why? And like, how, <laughs> what problems does that address and solve? And uh, yeah, get an overall contextualization of what it is Bintensor and Tau is going to do for humanity at scale, right? So I guess what's a good first question, Willis? Well, I, I think, think you had one in mind. Yeah. So, so Jake, we, um, so first of all, Sam Altman is being yeah. uh, in front of Senate right now. So yeah. just by coincidence. <laughs> True. And, we did not plan that at all. watching that right yeah. now because they're all here, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, but, but the main question uh, as far as AI goes from everybody is, AI could pose a threat to humanity, right? So, and and we postulated, before we even discovered BitTensor, we postulated yeah. that a yeah. decentralized version of artificial intel- intelligence would be a solution. Yeah. And I want to get your take. Is it true that potentially a decentralized version of artificial intelligence could prevent the collapse of humanity? Is that <laughs> is that valid? I think that is valid. Um, I think it's a philosophical take. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly like one that's slightly libertarian mm. uh, in, in nature. Um, on the other side would be that we need to control it from a top-down manner, you know, ivory tower. Uh, we have the, you know, the best perspective on, on how it should be governed and let's regulate it. I think that's certainly what you're going to see coming down the pipes from people that think that way. And mm-hmm. I think there's certainly a, you know, a value in, in that type of um, control of AI, but I don't think it's the big problem. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the bigger problem is that we're building this incredibly powerful tool that is going to be gatekept and controlled and owned by uh, a really small minority of people that use it to like exponentiate their power mm. um, and become incredibly uh, powerful and and then dangerous to the rest of humanity. Yeah. Like I actually think that like humanity is more of a problem for humanity than than, yeah. than AI the technology or like humanity plus AI in the small yeah. of in the in the hands of a, a small number of people. I think that's that's really worrying. Um, so so building 
um, a decentralized artificial intelligence, which really means just decentralized in terms of power, mm-hmm. um, is I think an, is necessary necessary for us to build a like a healthy symbiosis with this really powerful technology. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 where you know I I come from in in you know philosophically, um, the access is a huge thing. Um, obviously, you know building open ownership systems is is the best way that people can access not only the the technology, but the control of the technology, um, and and guide it by taking a slice. Mm-hmm. Access is huge. Um, scale is another thing, right? Uh, getting across the internet um, and and soaking up as much computational power as we can. That's that's more of like a a technical reason for BitTensor. But the the ethics and the technical side of BitTensor are you know very well interwoven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go just a little uh, deeper on this question. So you mm. you're basically agreeing with um, our analysis on whether decentralized artificial intelligence could help prevent the collapse of humanity. But there's another side to kind of a complete open ownership of this decentralized technology. Mm-hmm. And the other side could be is like, is there a way that this technology, completely open, can be leveraged by bad actors where if you've seen the show Silicon Valley, right, we have sort of like a runaway AI where it yeah. cannot be shut down. Yeah. So what's the bad side of this potential yeah. network? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the runaway AI, AI thing is quite interesting, right? Because I think it's pretty sci-fi. Um, the idea that, that the AI will decide to sort of like take the nukes, right? Mm-hmm, sure. um, that would require us giving the nukes in the first place, mm-hmm. which, which means that there's this like uh, unholy alliance between some people in humanity and, and the computers that are now going to be in control of the nukes. And I think uh, that's, you know, it's a really powerful tool. So it, it, at the end of the day, it's who controls it that, that matters and what, what power they give it. Um, if that is a small group of people and that, and I think like more, more um, prescient right now is with, political um, issues, right? Around censorship of ideas. Like this is an extension of our brain and it's going to be used uh, to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be used to narrow the perspectives that we have, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the behest of the political opinions that that small group has. Mm-hmm. And so expanding um, the diversity of intelligence and access to that is really important for humanity to expand its own mind and, and not be cloistered away into a specific political opinion. Okay, but but the the runaway AI, coming back to the runaway AI thing, um, I think that it's it's going to run away in a sense, uh, no matter what we do. It's it's really about who it runs away with, um, and we we use open ownership and digital currencies to allow people to like tether themselves to the technology mm-hmm. as many people as possible mm-hmm. so that we, if we are collectively symbiosis in symbiosis with this technology, then, then it's not going to fight against us because we are its bottom line. Mm. Right. Right now with, with companies like OpenAI and Google or whatever, um, th- whatever AI they, they, they make its bottom line is the corporate shareholders of those, those institutions. Right. Um, it's not me and you. And, uh, I think, you know, AI by its nature is like um, an adaptive technology. So it adapts to a loss function, say. Um, it adapts at the end of the day to the reward signal, 
that it's trying to minimize. Um, it, tethering that to Tau was our goal so that we could distribute that tether back into humanity. Uh, and so that when it does run away, which it will, it's going to run away, it's pulling us with it um, and not just, you know, some people. That's fascinating. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think that the AIs are going to like launch the nukes anytime soon. I, I think yeah. that's sort of sci-fi. I actually think it's a bit of a red herring um, for the real problems arising around um, centralized ownership and, and control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so th this is very interesting. Here's here's why, because Elon Musk, I mean, he's been talking about this runaway AI for at least a decade. And his his take is, what if we just merge with the AI with Neuralink? Yeah. And so what, what, you're, what I'm hearing from you, Jake, is, is a very similar approach. So instead of merging with the AI, which requires a new technological development, all that, it's like, well, why don't we just issue these Tau tokens where we're incentivized to protect all the Tau holders, like mm -hmm. not necessarily like in a Terminator type of way. I mean, like, like, from the AI's perspective. Yeah, from the AI's perspective is to, yeah. to what you're saying, Jake, is pull us along in, mm -hmm. in whatever direction it, I but guess it, it decides. But is that because uh, the, the human components of like supporting this network is the AI is going to, I guess, innately understand and value that as in like, we don't want to get rid of this human uh, effort or can't, could it, could it AI replace whatever it is humans are doing as far as con contributing uh, whatever network value is needed in order to produce these like high quality intelligence models, like are, are humans always going to be necessary in this uh, mechanism? If the AI uses Tau as its currency, as its okay. metric of value, yes, big, uh, and we create a game theoretic equilibrium where that's where people are and where that's where machines are going to market. Yeah. Um, and that's controlled by humans. Yeah. Then, and it will like where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, you, we still maintain the control. Yeah. Um, I don't think that like connecting our minds into the AI is necessarily going to solve that problem because it, it could mm -hmm. actually just metastasize it and make <laughs> it so that, well, now the AI has, you know, uh, a super highway into our brains to manipulate us and, and make mm -hmm. things, um, you know, much worse. Like, yeah. I don't think that necessarily in, in any way solves the problem mm. um, about what the motives would be for, for the, the, um, the AI. And like, I think that incentives are everything, right? You know, okay, what, what are we incentivized to do mm -hmm. is going to really, really drive us at the end of the day. So, so working with AI at that like fundamental layer, um, all of the neural links and things will, will come about and they will, they will arise um, on top of whatever structure we build, right? Um, you know, I, I like to think about like, say, democracies, right? Democracies are really slow. Democracies are really inefficient. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a lot of people shouldn't be voting. Yeah. But the fact that we do have a vote means that this really complex, unwieldy machine that is our, you know, our nation states does, even if it's really, really corrupt, at the end of the day, it's going to have to come back to us and try to get our vote. Mm. So um, if we didn't have that tethering to humanity in our corporations and our, and our um, institutions, our democratic institutions, we would be really shit out of luck. They wouldn't work for us yeah. because they wouldn't really care mm -hmm. at the end of the day. They'd be, oh, we, we'll say that we're working for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you no, know, like, okay, no, no, trust us. We, we're really, we're really, it's, it's, it's in your, in your favor. Mm -hmm. um, but the night, the, 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 the thing is that at the end of the day, we can always be like, well, I'm not going to vote. 
on that particular thing. And I, I hold the keys um, uh, of the, the technology, which is, you know, the, the nation. Mm. So does that mean that um, when you're designing this, this ecosystem and the system of decentralized AI, you can <clears> program it in a way where it cannot make decisions without the will of the Tau holders. Is, is that what you're saying? No, it can make decisions without the will of the, the Tau holders, but it, those decisions are at the end of the day judged by people that hold Tau. Mm. Um, okay. So if we can see that it's going AWOL, mm -hmm. uh, then we can change that mm -hmm. because we hold the, the keys. Okay. So Okay, that makes sense. There is no like mm -hmm. possibility of, uh, <clears throat> I guess, the definition of what run runaway AI, I guess, is not as like definitive. I think everyone yeah. probably has like a different answer to yeah. what, it, what a runaway mm -hmm. AI event would actually look sure. like. In my mind, it, it would probably be some sort of like self-improvement yeah. algorithm that maybe even humans don't even understand how to interpret. And I, if I were to assume what AI would do with, with the first, you know, action, it would be to blockade any kind yeah. of a human uh, intervention in, intervention in this new process to kind of like proliferate much more new algorithms and yeah. things we don't understand right, right? so but let's be honest let's let's be honest what's actually going to happen is that that's going to be a human yeah. trying to yeah. Yeah. build a monopoly for its ai yeah. with the help of governments to build a centralized power structure mm -hmm. something like this weird mix of uh, you know corporate capitalism mixed with ai uh, where the the gatekeepers to it have like extraordinary power mm -hmm. um, that is running away. It's it they, they've they've take it's like that movie Elysium, you yeah, know, where sure. it's like the they had the, the one there's like the humans in space yep. that have they're like living on this like um, space station. you know halo ring yeah. thing yeah. and and it's like they've got all the power and they just kind of enslave humanity. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that's much more likely. Yeah. Then, then oh my God, like iRobot. That's great for a film, yeah. But it's not practical, and and this is actually what's already happening, mm -hmm. right? It's like already happening, and you know it might be not even the fault of the the people that are involved. Like humans are, at the end of the day, they're they're going to also be incentivized by their bottom lines, and if their bottom lines is like, hey, I want to make a lot of money, um, and and the best way to do that is to work with governments to build a monopolistic control of this technology that in, that involves only myself and and stops people and, and is gatekeeping and stops other people from entering. They're going to do that, yeah. right? So it's you know it's our job to build systems that are sort of resistant yes. to that behavior, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know that's what Bitcoin did so well. Mm -hmm. It's like it's resistant to the worst nature, uh, the, you know, the worst natures of humanity. Um, you know, it, Sam Altman is currently in talking to Congress and I'm sure that he is incentivized to say that AI is dangerous and likely going to run away because then he can, um, get them to give him regulations, which would stop other competitors from coming into the market and competing with open AI. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like, that's a bit slightly insinuate in, insinuating. I mean, I think that he, he probably isn't doing that, but it's possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be where his incentives would lie. Um, in, in the case of Elon Musk, I, I think that he tends to use public opinion um, on, on topics like, say, like climate change, uh, which he, he took advantage of um, in order to get 
funding from the mm-hmm. government and, yeah. and also mm-hmm. to spin a message for his own company. And like, he's certainly going to do that with his AI company that he's creating right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going, he, he's going to say, okay, runaway AI. So therefore this is my solution because it's a great narrative pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's an interesting take. Yeah. Because you know, when you're thinking about artificial intelligence, there is, is there any uh, weight to the idea that, that we could have, a, a an AI where it's it's actually not con- controllable. Like, do we have? Is it even like reasonable to think that this is possible? Or I I want to get your expert opinion on that. Just straight up. Yeah, I mean, we we have all sorts of systems in society or in like within side of the the global organism which are not under our control. Um, I think that like the capitalist system itself is sort of not under our, anyone's control it's mm-hmm. it's the democratic system is you know we like to think that the executive branch controls the the country but in in a way there's like so many people involved um that all have a say in the way that these things run like in in the capitalist economy yeah. um there is it is not under con- anyone's control it's not really being controlled um in the way that we think about when we talk about control okay. uh instead it's being aligned and we're trying to make sure that it's properly aligned with people. And, and that's where these really great ideas came from, like, uh, you know, capitalist markets and and democracies. Hey, let's make sure that that somehow like root the the control, like the, the pseudo control of this system, you know, into like, say, landowners, which is what, how it was previously done. Right. Or um, uh, in, in the Democratic vote. Um, it's the same kind of principle of of like what it means to be controlled. I think there's a lot of systems like Bitcoin is uncontrolled, mm. right? Totally uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. But then it's also at the same time, it's 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 controlled in the perfect manner because it's you know run by people that own Bitcoin and anybody can participate in in mining Bitcoin or owning Bitcoin or participating in the conversation. It's not behind closed doors. Um, it's sort of like a public resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it is controlled, even though in the same sense, we no one can turn it off. Um, no one can turn off the economy. Mm-hmm. No right. one can right. turn off, you know, uh, humanity endeavors to create nation states. And, and, you know, like these things are not really under control. So and I think that always comes back to, OK, well, let's build mechanisms of incentive that, right. that are aligned. Yes. Um, rather than than totally controlled. And so, yes, is in a sense, like BitTensor is uncontrolled, mm-hmm. right? And we aspire to that. We aspire it, it to a system where it's like not just one or two people that have all of this outsized control mm-hmm. um, in the system and that it's actually distributed across many people, as many as we can get, um, so that it's aligned with all of the people that that have entered the system, um, you know, for good or ill, uh, with respect to something like the price, because like we distribute a lot of tokens to a lot of different people, and and you know, I, we had advice like don't do that. Hey, you should just hold most of them for yourself, um, so that you can control the price. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 but that's totally antithetical to the to the mission as it's you know itself, which is to make sure that the 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 ownership is distributed as much as possible mm-hmm. it would be like why would i do that mm-hmm. like i'm just going to create another corporate ai company right right so that's a good segue to get into bit specifically so in what what's the elevator pitch 
Right, you're in an elevator with Elon. He's never heard of BitTensor. But he talks about it a lot without he knowing. He does. He <laughs> without does talk knowing. about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would you say to Elon? It's like, hey, hey, what are you working on, Jake? What do you, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, the, the ethics side doesn't really come up because people are like, how are you going to make money? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like really, you know, in the paper we talk about, we talked about this. Um, it said like a, intelligence is a commodity of sense, like it has value. The, the outputs of machine learning models is like refined information uh, in the same way that like the outputs of your mind are actually valuable if you're intelligent and people want to talk to you. Yes. Um, so we want to get access to it. We want to procure the, um, the largest amount into a collective system so that we can combine it. And the best way to do that is with incentives. Markets are the most efficient way of extracting resources that humanity has ever come up with, which is um, really crazy. It's not like top-down bureaucratic control over mining companies. It's actually competition between them that that makes the system really efficient. And the, the example for that is Bitcoin, which has become uh, the largest supercomputer in the world by many magnitudes based on the that premise perhaps, or like that structure of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we want to combine the largest amount of intelligence producing machines together into a, a collective system so that we can drive AI development and, and leverage it. Um, and the best way to do that was to use incentives. Um, that's why we use the token in the first place mm-hmm. um, is to drive that. And that's what we see, like the, the what ha- happened over the last year in BitTensor is quite phenomenal how far we've come, like how big it got Mm -hmm. um, and how like almost like impossible it was for our, our own selves to, to allocate the compute that, that people had thrown at the system. Mm -hmm. Um, We were able to like extract like mining farms uh, that, that there was no way in hell that we would ever be able to get GPUs at that price. Mm -hmm. Uh, and people had, had brought that into the system and, and they were able to bring that to the system because we had this open, market mm-hmm. um a non-open anonymous censorship resistant permissionless liquid market that allowed people to allocate resources and bring them into the the, the system um, basically we aligned people really well markets align things really well and you know to to you know we we run the foundation which is like a company within the system and yeah. uh, you know one thing that i've learned about being a manager is that that applies to to humans as well yes it's like it, well aligned people are like a thousand times faster than a thousand people. Uh, And, and and so uh, we, you know, this incentive mechanism structure for um, producing machine intelligence at scale is the most efficient way of uh, extracting this, what I like to call a digital commodity uh, in large um, quantities. Um, And that's, and that's really the elevator picture. There you go. Okay. See you later, Elon. See ya, Elon. <laughs> talk, to, talk to you, you later. <laughs> talk to you later, yeah. Um, yeah, talk to you later, Elon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. Now, now going into the technical, so we're going to nerd out here a little bit. So yeah. there are three, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are three participants in the ecosystem, potentially four. So we have the miner, we have the validator, yeah. and we have the staker. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? There's three? Yeah, that, 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 okay. Yeah, I can talk about all those. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... We have, so explain to me the minor situation. So what exactly, so, it, uh, you know, I, I understand Bitcoin, how it works, hashing together the blocks, a lot of computational power in, is required. 
So how, what, what is happening in the BitTensor network for the mining aspect of this particular network? They are hosting and inferencing machine learning models. That's what they do in practice. They don't actually need to have a machine learning model at all. Mm -hmm. um, they could be connecting to an endpoint. They could be sitting behind this, the screen typing things in. But the, the output is what we measure from the miners. We, we give them an input, a, a query. Hey, like complete this sentence or summarize this text yeah. or rank this response to this question or generate an image from this textual um, description or do the inverse, take the image and get me the textual description. Mm -hmm. um, all of those are computationally expensive problems and can also be evaluated for their performance on the particular task that we're asking them to do. So, hey, does this image actually look like the text? Mm -hmm. um, and and it's it's very computationally expensive. So it, that that's where the computers enter the system because in order to do that efficiently, uh, to do that quickly, you need a fair amount of compute to do it. Okay. Um, so okay. the miners are practically sitting there uh, hosting a model, like let's say they're on our current prompting network, they're running a Vicuña 13 billion parameter model that takes like, you know, let's say at least a 20 gig um, GPU uh, mm -hmm. to run uh, a request per second, right? So right. that's an expensive thing to allocate. Mm -hmm. um, and they need to basically take all of those requests in and, and do the inferencing and, and do it quickly. And then they get an output and that output is uh, and then evaluated by the validators, which was the, the second part of your question, I'm imagining. Okay. Yes, correct. Um, what do the validators do? So, yes. so the validators sit there in the network and they basically uh, are ensuring that the miners are performing the operations which they're being tasked to do. Mm -hmm. And and then by ensuring that or like ranking the performance of these miners over time, they determine um, like a, a, an ordering of them and a ranking, a scoring. And, and then that in collection, so like the, the combination of all the scorings from all the validators is um, uh, is passed to the chain. And then that there's a consensus which runs on that. So we ensure that there's agreement between them about who is actually doing the work mm -hmm. that that we ask them to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we we distribute the tokens onto those miners in a higher proportion. So mm -hmm. then that creates a an incentive gradient mm -hmm. for the miners. Um, and so like all of our work is crafting that incentive gradient to make sure that it's properly aligned with producing the thing that we want the network to be producing. And there's, you know, there's a variety of pitfalls that arise because it's, it's not just, there's a, there's this like a, there's like a synthesis actually between machine learning and markets. Like a lot of people have actually researched this particular topic because it's all about, um, you know, machine learning, it's about going downhill in a loss function. So you optimize the weights against the loss function, which is a gradient descent problem mm -hmm. um, usually, which means going downhill and in incentive alignment is about people wanting to go uphill to maximize their incentives. Um, and those things are, you know, very well related. So you know, it actually makes a lot of sense that machine learning engineers would be good at doing market analysis. And so anyway, so I'm, I'm diverging too much here because I mean, the validators, they, they set the weights, they reach consensus, they mint the tokens, the, mint, the tokens go through 
uh, the network to the miners. Fifty um, percent uh, of them goes to the validators currently, uh, and that is what incentivizes them to reach consensus, sort of mm -hmm. like a prediction market or like a bonding market. Okay, um, and that's what uh, enforces the honesty and also the the uh, assuring assurance that they are indeed running the code that the other ones are running. Okay. Let's go through one example, if if you don't mind uh, humoring me here. So, of course, on, on a particular node in the network, uh, specifically a miner, they do they do a singular task such as converting text to image, or are they general purpose computational nodes? They do a specific task. Okay, like converting text to image. Okay, yes. so in this example, we're converting text to image. I want. I want to know. I want to understand how a validator determines the quality of the output. Mm -hmm. So let's say here's. Give me a cow, right? And so this this node computes it, and here's here's an image of a cow. Yeah. How do you rank the quality of images of cows mm -hmm. from a validator? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, th there are a variety of ways to do it. Um, and you know, I'll give you an example of one. Um, so. So basically, validators could be running what's called a clip model, which means that the, this clip model is capable of creating what's called a shared embedding. Uh, it's it's a representation, a numerical representation or a set of numbers okay. that encode the meaning of something uh, effectively. Um, and they can compare the clip embeddings um, between texts, inputs, and image inputs. So the, the model has been trained so that when you take um, an image and then the caption of the image, the embeddings produced by the model for both of those inputs, the text and the image, are very close um, according to some metric, like cosine distance, um, in this the space of this representation. So this allows, uh, this is trained beforehand. This is an example of a way of validating this. Um, this is trained beforehand so that the that similar images are close to the similar text descriptions. Um, so a validator can use this tooling uh, to to measure um, how performant the the outputs are. So they could go, hey, okay, um, here's the text, send it to the model, model, get the image out, mm -hmm. take the text and the um, uh, image, and put them through clip and get the embeddings and then measure the distance. So, so then this creates an incentive mechanism where if you're a miner, you have to figure out how to tr create images from um, the text inputs that would then be, if they pass through clip, would produce embeddings which are close to the text inputs. And that's actually how they, they train Stable Diffusion, right? That's, that's Stable mm -hmm. Diffusion's training pipeline. That's, they take that as the loss function to optimize the, the image generation tool side of the the network um and and that's a akin to the way the incentive works right so the incentive is basically isomorphic to use a mathematical term mm -hmm. uh to the loss function that's used to train those types of models okay so it, so our, basically what you're saying is if um if we're going to have a node in the network focus on text to image and the way to perfectly train this is to already have like a data set of something to compare the output to. Okay. So then, um, so, so, so yeah, this is a really good question. So the bit tensor is not focused entirely on training. Training is like a, 
it's in the pipeline, but it's not, it's like before the incentive because the incentive is measuring the outputs of the models, Mm -hmm. the way in which you produce the very performant outputs is up to you. Mm, Okay. Um, Okay. Maybe that's by figuring out how to get access to a bunch of APIs that yeah, do that. Yeah. Sure, sure. That's where I, the market is cool. So, so that, that yeah. actually creates this sort of like, it's like a, a vacuum. Yeah. Like we like vacuuming in the intelligence from everywhere else and pulling it into the single system. Mm, okay. So it in this scenario, then this particular node focus on image to, or sorry, text to image. That's one node mm-hmm. in the ecosystem. The other nodes mm-hmm. are working on different modals, right? Uh, large language models, or maybe um, output videos based on text. Um, so mm-hmm. how do you determine the quality of of each of the outputs on so many, like is, is each node responsible for that quality? Like they're, they're responsible just improving that quality. Is that the work that they're doing? Yeah, that's the work that they're doing. I okay. mean, they're they're imp- they want to improve the quality, um, and they also need to be allowing inferences over that quality, okay. which is really really an expensive process. Um, running just running the the queries is is not cheap. In fact, uh, you know, over time, inferencing as use has increased more and more in the machine learning industry, the training has become less and less and less of a um, the task at hand. And okay. it's actually like inferencing the models, okay. allowing people to query them. That becomes the really expensive part because if you're a company like OpenAI, you have like tens of thousands of queries per second. That's like tens of thousands of GPUs that need to be on consistently all the time. And I, I heard somewhere, I, I can't reference this, this um this piece of information but it was like a dollar per query for gpt4 mm, wow. right so the, the, the they're losing money yeah right and 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 i think that you know i i predict that over time this will become more and more where these these uh companies are focusing their mm. their their uh their budgets mm. right because the models are getting so large um that it's really expensive to query them so this is like w- what we've seen with the market that we created was that um, the the majority of the work is actually just trying to stay on the network and inferencing the requests. And mm-hmm. sometimes the requests get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, the expense, you know, explodes. Um, the inferencing of the models is where we can get the intelligence that we're evaluating. So, of course, what arises is a market for the ability to do inferences. Mm. Okay, so that that tells me that we have a network that is self-improving, right? That's the first step, right? It's it's self-improving. So how does a developer, like if they're creating some sort of application that is leveraging artificial intelligence, they're like, how how does one leverage BitTensor? Is it a bunch of API calls? Like how do you how do you take advantage of this tech? Yeah, right now there's an API, um, and that that API goes through the validators right now. So you can just use BitTensor out of the box right now, which is really cool. In fact, um, kind of like secret knowledge is that um, BitTensor is wide open. 
Like mm-hmm. the the outputs are really good from the prompting network right now, and hardly anyone is querying it. Yeah. Um, and that's going to probably change pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the the BitTensor API is a Python library written by the foundation that allows you to query the network, right? So you can you can talk to these miners specifically. Yeah. You can point your endpoint at them and, and query them. Um, you can combine their outputs. You can do broadcast queries onto the network. You can you can learn how to talk to the network. All of that's in the API. Yeah. Is there some sort of like threshold or metric that that you guys consider that will I guess like a catalyst event for to get developers to not so much focus on centralized AI systems and kind of realize the 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 true the additional value or the the efficiencies of a decentralized AI system like you know I hear the word parameters throwing around a lot. Yeah. yeah. Everybody likes to market and show off like the number the billions of parameters that they yeah. is that the thing that developers are looking for or is there something else some other metric or of signal yeah, of quality. The- there's a bunch of there's a bunch of metrics that are important, right? It's like yeah. parameter size, you know, query time, context window length, yeah. uh, that people care about for building applications. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another dimension which is censorship resistance. Mm-hmm. I think that you know we have in spades, and also access. Um, we can't stop you, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that's really cool. And and also we can give you a diversity of opinion because we have a lot of different types of miners on this network, um, which allows um f- the diversity of opinion i think is r- really important as we you know we were talking at the beginning of the conversation about like censorship and how how you know the the controllers of ai are going to do their best to um use this technology uh to inflate their own biases mm-hmm. so yeah. the ability to expand and have a diversity of ideas in the network i think is really valuable for people for applications um and and, and also just for people that want to train from the network mm-hmm. right that they don't just want to have like a a single narrow viewpoint that they're always just converging to so we can we can provide a lot of diversity and expansion over the over the network um yeah did that's your question yeah i think so oh the, but let's speak a little bit more on the diversity element i guess uh if you can extrapolate down a little bit further down the line in comparison to a non-diverse like a you know system architecture for AI machine learning, what does that look like as far as a I don't know like a mature AI as a final product output? Like if if it has much more of a diversity of opinion, does that kind of like address the issues of biases that everybody's worried about? If it, if it can contextualize, you know, and not so much like a, a localized understanding of how the world operates and it has a much more broader interpretation base. Is that is that one of the additional, I guess, value adds of a decentralized system as opposed to centralized? Yeah, I think that the centralized systems will tend to converge to a particular opinion. And, and you know, I, I like to think about um, Google's mm-hmm. uh, mission statement, which was to organize the world's information and use, make it useful yeah. and available to all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might have changed slightly now. Um, their bottom line was was not exactly that because mm-hmm. they eventually they they needed to advertise in large amount and and so it became organized the world's information that in a way that their advertisers make money. Yeah. Right. Um, and the the protocol that we're trying to create. Um, is trying to organize the world's intelligence and make it accessible, you know, and democratic mm-hmm. um, 
democratically accessible to to <clears throat> to everybody. And I, I think of it also as kind of like if intelligence was a wave uh, or like a signal, we're trying to maximize you know the brat the broadband throughput of the network so that people can really get what they 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 can have a, a larger diversity of opinions and you know you could you can even you can collapse that if you want you can take the broadband intelligence and collapse it using something like a mixture model and like take the best result given your preferences and then you could just have something that's more of like a narrow band intelligence um but i think that there's going to be a, a lot of value here for for giving people um, diversity of perspectives and diversity of intelligence and um, and and driving the system to to you know really expand people's consciousnesses mm-hmm. um, around say just like the the narrow band that is a single OpenAI endpoint. Mm. So going back to the nodes, I'm I'm curious that um, each node is it. Is it because of the computational requirements that each node can only focus on a, like a single modal or is it is can- Well that's not correct. They they can a single node can work us work on other modals. Okay. Uh, it's just architecturally we tr- we treat each endpoint uh, as distinct, but behind the scenes they might be running a model that is multimodal. Oh, okay. Interesting. So that means uh, that if I was a developer and um, I see a particular node out there focused on multiple multiple modals where I, I need to query um, for my application a lot of the aspects that that node is outputting, then I just just use that node. Is that correct? Yeah. So what do you mean by multimodal here? So like, well, what is this specific task that you're you're asking about? So let's say that um, I'm creating a chat application that allows me to not only interpret my text, but also to convert my text into image, to video, mm-hmm. and uh, what else? Yeah, that's about it. That's all I can do. Meme generator. Meme generator. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess I guess what I'm asking as a developer, do I query just the single node that is providing me what I think is going to be the best output, or am I using several nodes in the network? Um, I think you would be using several sub networks in the network to do that particular problem. I think that's like the the low hanging fruit way of solving this problem is is that if you want to uh, understand the image, then you would take the and you would take the image and send it to the image to text network gotcha. and then okay. inject that into your your text and be like, this is what the image has in it. Okay. Um, uh, here's a diversity of things that it has in it because there's some diversity of perspectives. Um, and then now tell me more about the image. Like that's, that's, that's how GPT four is doing that. That's how chat tensor does that. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's not an actual multimodal model, which is a different thing. Right. So that's like a single model that has been trained to take in text and image. Mm. Right. Okay. And then produce outputs given both inputs. Okay. So it's like it has two encoders in it, um, which is something that can be done. Um, and we could actually create a network on BitTensor that specifically works with multimodal. Um, and you could even have the miners querying the other specific modal um, networks in order to run miners on that. And sure. I think that's something that we will work on down the road, sort of this com- combination of modalities. And uh, that's, you know, like what Meta is working on right now is really cool. They're doing um, uh, joint embedding architectures where they'll train a, a single model that which can translate between all of the different 
types of modalities. So you can be like, here's an audio uh, of a dog chasing a fire truck. Mm-hmm. And then they can convert from the embedding. So like yes. the encoding of that audio mm. comes into a shared embedding space. They can then convert that into an actual video um, a video or image or the text. Yes. And all those things are like interacting and coming together. Dude, that's so um, cool. That's really cool. You know, that's that's actually like on you know something that we we are going to be working on in the next year, uh, hopefully at OpenTensor. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I can see so many applications. Like, I can see the police using this as like, you know, here's some audio like of this attack, and like, give me, you know, show me what it might look like, mm-hmm. you know, during this event, mm-hmm. and like, you get some ideas of like potential outcomes and wow. you know how things occurred yeah. during that event. Um, so I can see that being very, very useful. I, I'm curious about the validators because as I was doing research, it seems like the validators are creating their own products. And yes. stakers are like, hey, I like that product. I want to support that that uh, project. And they stake with that validator. Um, is, is that the ecosystem that was intended? I mean, how does the validators in terms of projects like manifest? Yeah, so they... By being validators, they have to have a lot of tau, um in the network. And so that basically gives them access to the system. Okay. The, the, like, the most obvious thing to do is to just build a, 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 a product where it's like a traditional AI company that gives you access for an API key. And I think people are doing that right now, which is pretty cool. So if you, you know, pay me dollars, I'll give you, you can you can like, I'll proxy your requests to the network. Mm. Um, or if you um, delegate your stake to me, uh, we'll do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the The delegative stake is also a form of revenue. And so that could be used as the the mechanism for payment, but it we're actually agnostic to the way that the validators build a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that is the primary business idea for the validators is that their, their intention is to gate access to the network um, and give people a, a much cleaner, less violent, less scary experience with the Web3 ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Is is that the only way to create a product using BitTensor is building it on top of a validator or is it is that just one way to do it? If you want to use the network, you do need to be a validator right now. Ah, okay. So you need to basically get access to one or you know, bridge through one or okay. be one. Um, but that's actually likely to change. Also, um, we, we do want to build rails that would allow people to just you know, maybe spend how um, to okay. access the network, which okay. would mean that you don't even need access to a validator. Uh, the, the, this kind of like convergence or like slight, slight centralization towards you know, 128 projects, which I think is a fair number, uh, was done so that we can stimulate some organization uh, away from just the foundation, which was primarily doing the development on top of BitTensor. And it's like sort of like the initial um, expansion uh, away from a more centralized system that we had uh, with a single institution that was that was primarily building, you know, appealing, um, for, sorry, hiring developers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that means that um, the expectation is there's going to be more than 128 validators at some point. There's going to be likely only 128 validators for this for the time being. I don't see any reason to expand that number yet. Okay. But there will be other ways of accessing the system without sort of being gated okay. by 
these validators. Now, already you, there's people that are like, okay, I'm going to be the validator that that is just like totally permissive. Okay. Right. So there's there's competition um, already at the level of the validator uh, to to break up any types of monopolies that could be forming at that level of the project. Last I understood, you needed uh, 1024 tau in order to be a validator. Has that number changed? The the number is a, a, adaptive now. Okay. Um, the instead of fixing the amount of tau that you need and then letting the number of validators change, it's we fix the number of validators and let the the amount of tau. Sorry, if instead of letting if fixing the tau and letting the number of validators change, we we fix the the number of validators and let the amount of tau change. Mm, okay. So I think it's somewhat increased. I think it's like three thousand tau. Oh, okay, interesting. And that's that change and rate of change is entirely dependent on the market, the, the right, the value of of tau, right? Well, it's based on the value of the of the network, right? Because if if you don't uh, you know see any value for accessing the system, then that would decrease that. Um, and then yes, also there's there's staking rewards from the validator side, so some people are yeah. using that as a way of um, accruing more tau. So it's like sort of like a, an investment yeah. um, in in the project. Do uh, uh, but do validators never intended to be that way? Do validators have any kind of like increased weight as far as like uh, their judgment of quality? If depending on you know the stakers, like if they have a higher staking allocation from the community, do, do now like their their active validation become a little more impactful? Like uh, well, absolutely right. So if they get the stake uh, towards them, then mm -hmm. their perspective in yeah. the network is more magnified. So they are worth more to the consensus. Makes mm. sense. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. So that means yeah, which more bandwidth so like then they can query the network faster yeah which is really like the the reason why validators will want to hold on to their tau mm -hmm. is because it's what makes the miners work for them mm -hmm. so if i collected five thousand tau i'm essentially kicking someone else out the of the validator network is that correct that's right someone someone at the bottom yeah someone at the bottom that's competition, dude. Yeah. Just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Market forces work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it seems like um, as time goes on, the value of the network will increase just mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's the the right incentives to mm -hmm. continuously improve mm -hmm. the outputs of these these machine learning models. Yeah. And, and also the 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 value of the community. And I don't think that I don't think that, that should be understated. That's a good point. Uh, the the people that hold the Tau that have been trained in the ecosystem yeah. expands so that there's now you know, hundreds and then thousands of people that are, you know, part of this ecosystem that, that are, you know, and it's amazing when you have an open source, open ownership program, uh, uh, company like we do, just the people come out of the woodwork, mm -hmm. right? I would never, I would never hire them, frankly, <laughs> a lot yeah. of them, no way, yeah, but yeah. they turn out to be the people I should have hired, you know, and it's like, uh, because they've done the work and they've put the, the hours in to become miners and, and they really care now because they're properly aligned and they do you know incredible work mm -hmm. um, more than we could ever possibly do uh, from the foundation because we didn't do a pre-mine we didn't raise like a stupid amount of money yeah um we we really you know believe in our community and 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 hopefully can stimulate them to 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 grow right like and that's the thing it's like we, the the borderless permissionless aspect of in the in the community is also like one of our killer mm -hmm. um, advantages your moats that yeah totally like th that that other you know more 
concrete bureaucratic systems can't really compete with, but it really comes down to how you align incentives. If the incentives are disaligned, then, then yeah, you should have a luck better to go back to the bureaucratic solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. I mean, the, I, I, I really believe that the decentralized nature of what you're building is going to win out. And I'm curious about this, this scenario playing out, you know, from the perspective of Google and open AI, could you see them being participants of the network? They already are, in, in a sense. People are already bridging their technologies into it. Um, and could I, I would love it if they were. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they could. I don't think that they necessarily will. Mm. Uh, I think it's too icky, right? Mm -hmm. Web3. Mm. Ew. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that I like you know like yeah. it's true. Um, yeah. Like a lot of people in maybe sort of like traditional technology, are, are, you know, yeah. scorn us, yeah. right? And um, and but yeah, no, I think it's very possible. It's very possible for them to <laughs> compete and participate. And 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 we've actually I've actually asked Sam Altman to do that on a phone call, yeah. and um, it didn't come through. Yeah, but mm, yeah. But in like maybe in the future when when we have a little bit more visibility. Okay, so here's here's why I asked Jake. The computational network, right? We're comparing Bitcoin. We got BitTensor. We got Google OpenAI. There's no mm. network bigger than Bitcoin, right? So that's that's pretty clear. But yeah. AI requires significant computational power, right? And so Google, no matter how much money they have, they won't be able to compete with Bitcoin's power or OpenAI or anything like that, right? So. Isn't it reasonable to assume that in order to have a better product than the output of BitTensor, wouldn't Google and AI just like plug into the network and just like kind of become that better product just because they're, you know, Google, they, they reach billions of people and, you know, they're leveraging the BitTensor network to create that, or to, to output that better AI. Isn't that like a reasonable, logical outcome from this? That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, we're, we're open, we're, we're open, we're permissionless. Like that's our thing. Well, like, let, yeah, let me give come you a and use the network. Like, you know, mine in it, you know, as long as the, it stays like if they align with the goals of the market here to, it, and it's open. Yeah. Right. So, so it, it really, it really, really, they can align and they can monetize their work and that's fantastic. And they can contribute the, the work they're doing and we all get better, mm -hmm. you know, in a sense, it's like the only thing bigger than Google and OpenAI is like everyone combined. Right. That's right. So, that's right. um, that's that, that I don't see that as a problem. I see that as a, like a killer app. Like I see that as a, as a fantastic. Well, I totally outcome. agree. I totally agree. And, and I just want to make sure I understand this. That's why I'm kind of harping on this. So it is the, is it a AI, the race of computational power? Yes or no? Sorry, is it a race of computational power? Is yeah. the is, is the race for OpenAI a race for computational power? Yeah, is, is the race for just usable AI, like a, a quality AI, a race of computational power? I think it's a race of a couple things. It's not just computational power, okay. right? It's a race for com compute, hands down, like NVIDIA chips are flying off the shelves. Yep. Um, and the, there's no doubt that that's a requirement. Um, it's a, it's a race for, for, for data. I think like data is, is, a, is a requirement for, for training machine learning models. 
Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a scientific race for innovation, right? Um, and it's also a race for access to machine intelligence itself, which is recursively useful. Mm -hmm. And, and that's actually the, the final point is the one that we're focused on. Uh, because I think that all of those things wrap into that one, mm -hmm. which is that that intelligence is itself recursively valuable to itself, um, and can you can use the outputs of of other models as inputs to the, the further student models of those those outputs, mm -hmm. um, which is which is called distillation, um, and and that all re requires inferencing. Even the collecting of data, as an example, um, the the inputs that are used to train ChatGPT come from inferencing humans. Is this a is this a good output? Is this a True. good output? That's basically inferencing machine learning models, but they're human machine learning models. Right. right. Um, so, like the data, the data part, and then the the combination of those is with compute is where you get access to the thing that people want, which is that you know the outputs of these models. Mm -hmm. So, is it a, is it a, a um, a computational arms race, absolutely, is a computational arm race, arms race. Mm -hmm. But it's not only a computational computational arms race. Yeah, because I think the incentive mechanism set up for BitTensor allows for the collection of that computational power. Uh, but you're right; ultimately, it's not just computational power. It's like the the data sets, the 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 models, the different algorithms that's required to actually make this all work. Um, and so yeah. I think BitTensor ultimately has like the, the ace up the sleeve with this incentive mechanism. That's why I think in the long term, there's no choice but to have Google and OpenAI just like join the network because that's how you're going to get a better product. Mm. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, so, okay. So we got 10 minutes left, Jake. Um, so we're going to have some questions from the community. And mm -hmm. we curated, so we collected about 31 questions and we we found only 10 that uh, we thought were, you know, pretty good to ask. So here's one from at who, why 3k, he, he, they're asking, when will you feel it's ready to turn the BitTensor network over to the DAO? We're going to do that incrementally, mm -hmm. like, but like peeling an onion sort of, um, the the first moves uh, on that um, are already underway, like on test network, um, where we're decentralizing the pseudo key across uh, a number of people, individuals, which is still quite centralized, right? Mm -hmm. But it's you know to a, a degree above, say, just a single or or two or three individuals that all have the key. Mm -hmm. um, the the decentralization. Um, uh, around the delegates and the validators is is what we really want to plug into. So we're going to turn the delegates into true representatives of the network um, that are basically being voted for li in a liquid manner. Um, and that could likely happen in the next six months, mm. um, which will stop us from um, doing certain operations, basically like a sort of executive meets a house uh, where the executive proposes legislation, but then can be gated by the house. Mm. Um, and then the, the, the final piece possibly is, is that we well not the final piece, but the, the next piece in that could happen over the, the next, the following six months is, um, uh, via democracy system so that everyone who has Tao, uh, can actually vote on the executive, the people that have control, mm -hmm. uh, of proposing legislation. And then finally, uh, we will likely delete the executive altogether 
but these things are really, really, really hard to give firm timelines for, um, primarily because we're dealing with an equilibrium sure. system. And so it's like, when will the system reach an equilibrium where we're confident that we can, you know, pull the plug or, or inject a new thing. Mm -hmm. And, and often it's, it's not, it's like, there's no clear answer. It's mm -hmm. not really yeah. a, Oh, we'll just work a little bit harder. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah. we have to do a lot of analysis. So, but that's the, that's the, like the overarching, that's what I would like to work on is in terms of the schedule um, in the next couple of years. And I think it's going to be forced upon us um, quicker. And we're very rare, very aware of this mm -hmm. fact is that like the, the pressure is going to come, um, from on high, uh, like the regulations are coming down fast. Like yeah. just as we're talking right now, Sam Altman is talking to Congress, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's going to result no doubt in legislation. Um, and, and we need to, as a collective of people reduce our surface area. And that's another reason for decentralization. So it, we may be forced out the door uh, sooner than we'd like, and it doesn't matter about the equilibrium, you sure, know. So, sure. uh, anyways, that's that's the best I can do with that 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 question. Yeah, it totally makes sense. There's no way you can just like turn on a switch and all of a sudden it's a DAO. It's more complex. Yeah. All right. Next question from Zero X Melodic, and the same question by Isles Rue is: <laughs> does, So here's uh, this is also one of my questions. Um, there's a little bit of confusion on the, I, I guess, the blockchain network that, that BitTensor is using. So does BitTensor intend to move away from the parachain model in its, in its independent blockchain, or will it take a dependent on the, on the dot parachain Polkadot ecosystem? We have moved away from using the Polkadot parachain ecosystem. So we are an independent chain right now. Um, okay. We've been like this uh, forever. And there's a chance that we will move into the Polkadot ecosystem, but we wanted to reach a level of maturity uh, where there wasn't as much um, development going on in the core protocol before we we did this. Mm -hmm. So it was a premature launch under Polkadot that we when we decided to go with Finny and we decided to step back from that, um, which was definitely the right decision in my opinion. Um, but it is very possible that we do integrate into Polkadot. Polkadot is also like an alive and developing system. It's quite amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's improving every day, just like BitTensor. So we, we, we consider ourselves sort of like on a parallel track with them mm -hmm. um, and, and we'll likely move back to, to Polkadot at, at some point. Okay. Not, maybe not this year, maybe not the year after. Uh, but, you know, BitTensor is on a long trajectory, right? We, 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 you know, our minting schedule is 256 years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We're only in the first two years. Uh, it's very likely that, you know, we're going to be around for a very long time. And, and certainly I will. And the and so we, we want to be careful about this progression. We're not in like a super, super rush to get into um, Polkadot. And I think, honestly, it was a bit premature. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, all right. Another question by Pete1816. Um, so it's a long question, uh, uh, to paraphrase, how do you leverage using BitTensor in a private way? So let's say I'm developing a new company and I'm using yeah. AI to help me develop that company. And, but I yeah. want to make sure that my IP is protected. How do I extract knowledge from this network without exposing what I'm working on? So if you're trying to protect your data set, you can't send it into the network. Um, 
if you're trying to protect your IP, you can use Tor browser. Um, if you want to build a private model offline, then you need to distill from the network. So you need to you need to fine tune a model. Um, Specifically as a user, I'm asking as a user, it's like I'm leveraging BitTensor as as a way for me to develop a, a new product. How how does the output from BitTensor remain private only to, to me? It doesn't. It doesn't, okay. It doesn't. So if you, it, because you're using the network and the miners on this network are, are other people. Okay. Uh, there's no current homomorphically encrypted network. Something that we could do where where inputs are homomorphically encrypted and then we are required to run a model which acts on um, homomorphic encrypted data. Uh, that's possible. It's not our our highest priority sure. right now. Um, but we would have we would basically be developing. Excuse me. We'd be developing another subnetwork yeah. where people we can run on that effectively a different modality of information, um, or we could extend the models. And ask people to 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 have a homomorphic encrypted aspect to them, um, but right now, like we're we're sticking with the openness quality of the network, so um, it's open to access, and the data that goes in there is also open. It's like we're bullish on uh, openness. Yeah. Okay. That that totally makes sense um, because. I know that it's technically possible to have encrypted data coming in and encrypted data coming out. I just, uh, I it's good to know that it's at least a possible kind of avenue for like a subnetwork to provide that as a value add for a particular user. All right, another question from Fatty Foods. <laughs> How does BitTensor protect the future development of AI from the grips of large corporate power? What checks and balances ensure it can't just get gobbled up by big money. Well, that really comes down to towel holders. I mean, at any moment, like all towel holders could just sell all of their towel to Google, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't think they'll do that. Uh, but, but if they did, right, then the system would come under control of, of Google. And that, that would be the end of that token. Um, but I think that that would also destroy the value proposition of the whole technology. Like it's, then it's just a centralized internal system for Google, which is, you know, it's not, it's not, um, permissionless, mm -hmm. uh, no one's it's incentivized a really monopolized market, yep. right? So it's probably not very efficient. And, and so therefore the technology is just broken mm -hmm. and the, someone can just fork it, mm -hmm. right? Like this, the great thing about web three, right? Oh, you don't like it? Just, just fork it. Yeah. Like, please. Yeah. And um, so we're not resistant to like totally resistant. I mean, I think like, obviously as the network, you know, gets larger and larger, the market cap itself is one resistance, right? It's like, well, then it would just cost a lot more money to do that. Um, the decentralization of the token itself that like you'd have to organize a lot of different people uh, to make that sale um, would be, would be one thing. Okay, so that would be just like on the token ownership side of that question. Uh, yeah. On the the network side of things, yeah, because they could come in and just dominate the network in terms of compute, mm -hmm. right? That was another thing. Okay, um, that hasn't happened in in Bitcoin. Maybe they had a longer period of time before before um, anyone even looked at them. So so their competitors didn't you know jump in when they could, and there's still a fair amount of decentralization in the the mining pools um, that that run. Uh, on Bitcoin, 
I think that we're sort of flying under the radar right now. Like a, a large corporation like Google is not going to do that, mm-hmm. um, but they probably could, right? If they were to throw their their giga data centers at us, uh, everyone would be messed, right? But why would they do that? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they they would be destroying the project that they're mining into. Um, so I, I can't see that likely happening. I think that those are s- sort of resistances. And then like, let's say that they did, let's say that they did take over the network, right? Mm-hmm. They'd have to maintain that hedge money and compete with people that are, you know, are trying to, um, uh, you know, there are people that are trying to take them, take them out, maybe to do it in a more efficient way. And, and Google is run in a bureaucratic way. So they have compute, but maybe are they smart enough? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's likely. And then I think the final piece is, is with the DAO. I mean, like the, the fact that there is a fair amount of centralized control in the, in the, in the token right now, um, given the fact that the foundation, you know, actively develops the chain, um, the, you know, the solution to, to corporate takeover or whatever type of takeover you would, you would describe, um, comes from decentralization which is what we just talked about Hmm. okay uh two more questions jake so we got one from crypto baller 15 he the question is OpenAI is launching an open source large language model is that a threat to bittensor no not at all that that's great right we we can consume everything into the network yes right um and and so we we will just do that with that model. Uh, great. Now it's in the network. Now it's it's added to the sum total of of um, system intelligence. And the you know like what OpenAI is doing is fantastic. I'm really glad they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see it as a threat. I, I actually see it as a, a super benefit. I, I think it's fantastic that they're doing that. What would you say is a threat to BitTensor? Ourselves. Hmm. Uh, the the people that are here in 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 this ecosystem right if we if we you know it's it's in a sense it's like a baby right it's slightly fragile mm-hmm. and uh like like even you know bitcoin was the same right for the first couple of years it was fragile mm-hmm. like the people that were you know running it could have probably destroyed it and you know it's that's not totally impossible right people get upset people get angry and they try to destroy things out of resentment. And like, it's very possible that we could, we could really mess up. Like there, we could make really bad decisions as, as a collective of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we could not be prepared for hacks. Uh, we could, uh, we could clutch our pearls uh, and, yeah. and refuse to give up power. And with mm-hmm. decentralization, mm-hmm. I think that would be a risk. Like, and it's certainly, you know, um, something that, that, that we could do, mm. And, and we won't, but, but like, you know, there's risks that we can make. And then, and then I think like the, you know, perhaps there's, perhaps there's just uh, a technology out there that, that supersedes us. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Maybe we don't get any attention. Maybe Mm -hmm. nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe people don't even care about decentralized AI. Yeah. They're like, no, screw it. I want this. (laughs) Um, Famous last words. Yeah. Yeah. So so like i think i think that those are those are reasonable risks and like potentials and and you know we we think about them all the time but you know mm-hmm. what you do you just you just you plow on right yep. you you believe right. in your vision yeah. um and and you work hard and like the people in the community i i think that we have some of the most amazing people um uh, because we did a no pre-mine like we have people that have done proof of work yeah right yeah. like they 
committed their time to this project and like yeah. they mean it and they 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 believe in it and yeah. and it's fantastic to work with them so i, I like i have every bit of faith in in who i um, am connected at the hip with in this community yeah, yeah the engagement we've seen from the uh, yeah, tensor community it's it's far and beyond anything we've seen from any other community because we yeah. cover a lot of different ecosystems and yeah they are cool. actively reaching out to us consistently. Yes. Like they're very passionate. They're, it's awesome. They, yeah. It's great to see. And yeah. that's, if you're looking for any good indication of. Yeah. If there was that. ever a moat, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Your community. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Fi final, final question, Jake. All right. So mm -hmm. this is one that I'm kind of curious about. So I'm just going to read it. So especially as it relates to a new sub network, how does BitTensor mm -hmm. enable a positive feedback loop of recursive training? For example, how can the endpoints of other models be used to create an even better model? That's a really good question. Um, so here's an example of something that we're already working with. It's just really, really cool. Um, we can inference the models for training data. Uh, like the, and this is the distillation aspect that we've been working on for a really long time. This really, people are doing this right now. Like if you look at like say Vicuña, Vicuña, great model was trained with not that much time off of the Llama base model using outputs from GPT, mm -hmm. chat GPT. And, and so the, the inferencings of these models can be used to collect into um, data sets, which are pretty small, but incredibly informationally rich and dense. Uh, and that's like a compiling asset. It's like a mountain of data that we're building and, and the miners can use this output, uh, to, to fine tune themselves in the network. And that's kind of this recursion. This is really cool. Right. Where it's like, I'm, I'm talking to you and, and you're talking to me. Uh, and then we can use that conversation to approve ourselves in the network. And mm -hmm. we, we do this. Like, so we also have a, like a mining team and this is what the mining team does is like they fine tune themselves on the outputs of the network and then they plug themselves back in. And so that's like, we measure that in real time. Like, okay, let's see look what the diversity is and let's see if the actual miners are performing, um, across the board on average. Right. Mm -hmm. So, the, that I think is really the holy grail for us is 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 building this self-referential, um, self-reinforcing behemoth uh, that is flying through space and building AI. Is that very similar to what the I guess one of the later innovations was Auto GPT, where it's kind of like query yeah 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 itself. no totally it's a, it's similar to that like so you know one of the ways that we query into the network to collect data set is we go, okay, Hey, we want to collect the data set on all the knowledge in this particular subdomain, build me a strategy. And then we can go to the network and, and get the output. So, okay, we're, we'll explain this concept and explain that concept. And, yeah. and then we can build a data set, which is then itself. Um, it, it, you can use that to fine tune a, a model. It's yes. very cool. Like in a sense, we're like, we're mining the network itself yes. as inputs to the network. Yeah. Yeah. And the mountain ahead of you is just a, a huge data set of, of data, right? That's what you're, you're parsing your information from. So, so yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Jake, Jake, I'd like to have you come back on later to follow up on some of this stuff. Is there anything that is going to be released soon that you're kind of uh, looking forward to? Is there any any updates that the community should be aware of? 
I think the the big ones that people should be excited about are are the pseudo key decentralization in the next couple in the next quarter, um, you know, voting on proposals in the next in the next quarter. Um, the the exciting one for the machine learning side is like different modalities of of inputs, uh, huge updates in the code base, improvements in the API to make it really easy for people to use things. Um, those are like right here, right now. Um, there's some updates to the to the website. They're coming out in the next week. Uh, we're, nice. we're we're constantly improving um, the look and feel of of you know our branding. But I, I think the core technology itself is just really, really being hypercharged um, right now with with the the fact that we're opening up these different types of networks, and it's really exciting to see to see that in action. To like how we can expand it to multimodality and and make the outputs of the system you know expressible. People believe what they can see. People believe what they can read. Um, and you know, in the in the last year, we you know you could almost call it like a test network. We were we were working with a much more abstract. Um, incomprehensible output, which is like embeddings and logic predictions. But now we're really moving into the space of, of you know, frankly, very usable AI. And and I'm really excited to see the applications and the companies that are built on top of the of, of validators. That's you know coming along really quickly. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited for the next little while, and uh, I hope that the the people stick around and 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 see what's coming. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm going to put all the links in the description for everyone who's listening. Make sure you follow these guys. This is very important technology. Yeah. Jake, I want to thank you again for coming. This has been very eye-opening. Enlightening. As, yeah. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> so I really appreciate it, man. Let's have you come back, um, I guess, sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. All right. We'll talk soon, man. Bye-bye. All right. That's it. Damn. So what do you think, dude? You that was like, <clears throat> is he is uh Yeah, so he definitely knows his stuff. <laughs>